0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 82. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Back for another week and back for another episode of Disney Plus Roulette. For those of you who have not Heard us talk about Disney Plus Roulette before. Basically what we do is um, we put numbers into a random number generator or we take numbers that have been nominated by you, our listening audience, and we'll take a random number going down and a random number going to either the left or to the right. And then based on the grid system that is Disney Plus on our streaming device, that's how we wind up on a movie.
1: And we will watch whatever it is we land on, so long as it is not a sequel that we have not reviewed the first one,
0: or something that was acquired um, post Fox acquisition. It needs to be an actual Disney film. So, and so far,
1: it's been pretty kind to us. We've yeah. gotten Blank Check
0: and Iron Will. Yeah, yeah.
1: And we love Blank Check. Growing and we up, liked that was a big Iron state. Will. Yeah, but that was a first viewing for both of us.
0: So it was also um you know these days are gonna come where you get something that neither one of us have seen before and that's sort of where the fun of this comes so this week we landed on escape to witch mountain which i know has a big cult following prior to this week i had never seen this film had you seen it before
1: i saw it once when i was a teenager and because I was sick. So I kind of missed, I think, the target demographic. I mean, this is really like a kid's movie. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where it came on and I just didn't have the strength or the energy to change the channel.
0: How many movies have you seen that way? And I don't mean you personally. I mean, you as the general audience, people listening to us. How many people have seen a movie because they didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to get up and change the channel. Do you know how many three ninja movies I've seen that way? (laughs) I only thought there was one. No, there were multiple. I know this because I used to get the flu every year.
1: That's how I ended up seeing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's rough. Yeah, unlike Lord of the Rings, this didn't make me pray for death.
0: That's how I saw, and I mentioned it when we um, reviewed the film on our show, that was how I saw... Emperor's New Groove for the first time. I saw it when I had the flu and could not reach the remote control.
1: But that's a win. You
0: that's a win. turn that off. That's a win. Was this a win? We're about to find out. The film opens with Tony and Tia Malone as they are being placed into an orphanage, and we see that they possess psychic and PKE ability. They also communicate using ESP, but it seems that Tony's harmonica is, is his tool of choice, whereas Tia sort of just materializes things in her mind. She also carries around a star case that she has always had, um, but neither child has a clear memory of their early childhood. Hello, Waltie. <laughs> the dog has now jumped up into my lap. Oh, little boy. We're all getting a little stir-crazy with the quarantine, aren't we, buddy? Well, while on a field trip, they meet... Lucas Duranian, um, after Tia saves his life following a premonition of a car accident. Basically, she sees in her mind that a tow truck is going to swerve off the road and hit the car that he is traveling in. He has a chauffeured car. And she tells him not to get in the car. Lo and behold, here comes the tow truck, whacks the car, saves his life. Duranian tells his employer, Aristotle Bolt... Yes, that is his actual name, Aristotle Bolt, about this premonition and about the children that saved him. And Bolt tells Duranian to obtain the children at all costs so that he can exploit their powers for his own financial gain. That is a sentence I just said out loud. (laughs) Duranian tracks the children down at the orphanage, poses as their uncle, and adopts them. Again, this is a sentence I have said out loud as an adult. They move into Bolt's mansion and are bribed with candy, toys, and riding lessons, all while Bolt monitors them on hidden cameras. This is an actual movie. Again, I'm not making any of this up. (laughs) Um, When they find out what's happening, they escape the house along with their cat Winky and stowaway in Winnebago, being driven by Jason O'Day. The children also realize that Tia's star case is actually a map, while also having flashbacks of a shipwreck that left them orphaned. O'Day finds them the next day and initially wants nothing to do with them, but over time he softens his stance on them and agrees to take them to what turns out to be Witch Mountain which is the destination that they have found at the end of the map on her starcase. As they're being chased by Balt, Duranian, and basically anyone that they can bribe to catch the children, they begin to have more vivid flashbacks and realize that they were not shipwrecked at sea as they originally thought. However, they are extraterrestrials who survived a spaceship crash. And that the stars on Tia's starcase is a symbol of their home planet. They eventually find their way to Witch Mountain, where they are reunited with their uncle Benet. They leave Winky with O'Day, who promises to be on the lookout for more children from the planet, because evidently there were a number of people that escaped from the planet and crashed on the planet Earth. And they help them, or and he promises to help them find their way back to Witch Mountain.
1: Witch Mountain, Witch, Witch Mountain, Mountain,
0: which, not wish, which. I didn't say wish. You said wish earlier today.
1: Before the mic was on, it doesn't count. Which. I think it is worth noting, though, that this was adapted from a book. Yes and that's probably why when i saw this i paused to watch it because i recognized the title obviously this movie was from 1975 so when i was a kid i you know i didn't know it but it was a very familiar title and you know like you mentioned before it does have a cult following the rock even did uh, a Race remake to of witch it witch
0: mountain yeah
1: a well. remake sequel reboot it was a remake I I don't know. I feel like all of those are are kind of getting melded together at this point, the way they, you know, capitalize on a franchise. But anyway, um, that is also why it is a familiar title.
0: Well, there have been three different movies. Well, four, because this movie has been remade twice. Um, Once was a made-for-TV movie called Escape to Witch Mountain, and then there was Race to Witch Mountain with The Rock, the aforementioned film that we just talked about. I think that was 2008 or 2009. So it's been remade a couple of times. It does have a sequel, Return to Witch Mountain, which I suppose we're going to have to watch. We're going to have to watch that and the Rocks reboot at this point because now we're talking about this one. Um, jumping in right away, I do like the quick backstory here. Um, the children's backstory, you know, their background is fleshed out fairly quickly as almost as soon as they get to the orphanage when they're talking to people that run the orphanage. They're not really talking to other kids. It's really just the other adults here. And they quickly launch into, okay, you're orphans. Your last name is Malone. You don't really remember your
1: parents. Blah, 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 You were in foster care. You really liked your foster parents. Right, and
0: they lost the foster parents. So out of the gate, they jump into it very quickly So you sort of get this false sense of security that the movie is going to be paced very well from the jump.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there because it's not a bad setup. I just don't particularly like it because you barely establish why they're in foster care before the supernatural stuff starts. So you're right. You think the pacing is going to be pretty even keel and then all of a sudden it comes out of left field.
0: It certainly does. And one of the things that comes out of left field here is this kid, Chuck.
1: He's... Lampwick's distant cousin. He totally Lampwick's
0: distant cousin. Big, fiery, redhead afro. Again, it was 1975. I suppose it was the look. This kid's voice had to drop when he was like eight. If you... You know what he is? He's Chucky. Oh, God. If Chucky came to life... That's Ch- Chuck. Oh my God! I'm just having a premonition right now. Chuck is Chucky the doll. He's the good guy doll. He, he looks just like him. He's
1: got the overalls. The creepy delivery of every line. Because that—that's what strikes me most about this kid is that his voice. Is so much more mature yeah. than, than the age that they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, because they're, they're supposed to be about 8 or 10 years old.
1: Right, and I mean, granted, you're going to cast older than the role, okay, fine, but it, it doesn't fit at
0: all. Right, and this kid is sort of bad for the sake of being bad. You don't get any backstory on him, which is not necessary, because I don't think backstory on secondary characters is necessary, but he's very much a trope.
1: Right, because they're in an orphanage and he's got a chip on his shoulder. Right. So he's a bully. Exactly. For no apparent reason, he's just a bully. That picks on the new kids. Right. And
0: obviously these new kids are exceptionally strange because they can jump very high and float in midair. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Chuck gets what's coming to him. For the first couple of scenes, Chuck is being obnoxious towards Tia and Tony. And we see them playing baseball. And Chuck hits a baseball farther than no kid his age should hit. Let's just put that out there. And Tony is playing in center field. And Tia tells him, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Through telepathy. Through telepathy. Through ESP ability. And he basically levitates off the ground a good 15 feet to make a catch, and now Chuck is out. And Chuck decides he's going to pick a fight with him. And he's levitating off the ground to avoid the punches. And none of these other kids, mind you, are batting an eye that this is happening. Right, right. He makes a batting glove levitate and turn into a fist and punch Chuck in the face. And then Chuck goes to throw a punch and through levitation, Tony lifts up a baseball bat and Chuck punches the baseball bat and injures his hand. Now, I'm not saying Chuck doesn't deserve it. I said before, he got what was coming to him. But... Nobody is really very surprised that any of this is happening. They all get awkwardly silent after it's all said and done. But they're all doing the, get him, get him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, kids do in
1: a sandlot fight or in a school fight on the playground. But you don't know whose side they're on. Yes. You don't know if they're cheering the bully. Because this is the only reaction they have. You don't know if they're rooting for the bully or once they see that somebody's standing up to him, if they're actually rooting for Tony in this case.
0: Right. And you'd think that they would be because it's that Scott Farkas effect where you have, again, this red-headed bully, much like Scott Farkas, um, even though this came out a few years before a Christmas story, but I digress. It's a trope nonetheless. Um, you'd think that they'd be rooting against Chuck, but you don't really know for certain.
1: No, and you kind of need to draw that line to set up the rest of their time at the orphanage. And are they going to fit it? Like, did they just win the kids over or are they going to be outcast?
0: Right. And then the kids go deadly silent to to lead you to believe, I should say, that they actually are outcasts. Well, they go to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Chuck's at it again with them. And his hand is wrapped up in ace bandages because he punched a baseball bat. Why Chuck is at it again? Because when Chuck walks away, he's, he's he's shook, as the kids say. He's shook. He's humiliated. And you think that that's the end of Chuck being a bully.
1: Yeah, they put him in his place. Any, any other movie that uses this trope, yeah. it's one and done. The, the bully's done at this
0: no, point. he comes back again. Like Chucky. Exactly. Can't kill him. And similarly it leads to nothing and they all get on the bus and they go see snow white and the seven dwarfs and then they have the premonition right before they get on the bus this is tia uh of the car accident that would hit duranium duranium is played by donald pleasant so and a lot of people know him as loomis from halloween he's great in that movie and i have to say i actually do think he's very good in this movie as well That's mostly just because I like Donald Pleasance, but I felt that he played this role properly.
1: He's one of very few convincing adults. Yes. As far as the the quote-unquote bad guys go, he's not totally villainous, but I believe that you can't necessarily trust him.
0: Right. And that's shown early on with that half smirk that comes across his face. Because when these kids tell him, do not get in this car, there's going to be a terrible accident, he decides not to get in the car. And then the car gets struck, T-boned by a uh, tow truck that goes off the road. That smirk that comes across his face tells you that He's been looking for these kids for a long time, or at least something similar to them.
1: Right, because he's not even relieved that he walked away from this accident.
0: No, if anything, he's excited.
1: It's an aha moment.
0: Exactly. Um, and then you get to see him go back to his employer here, um, Aristotle Bolt. I don't know that you needed to name this guy Aristotle, but okay. <laughs> Again, here it's nineteen seventy-five. I feel like a lot of the defense of this film, as lame as it sounds, is going to fall on well, it was nineteen seventy-five.
1: It was also a book, right? So I can kind of over overlook the name because it it wasn't necessarily the the script of the movie. Right. So he goes and he he
0: brings this paperwork that I suppose is phony paperwork, it would have to be, uh, telling the orphanage that he's their uncle. And the kids do not buy into it at all. But their choice is what? Go or stay in the orphanage, but he tells the orphanage he's the uncle, so they kind of have to go, so they sort of
1: relent. Well, also because their caretaker says he has all the proper documents, so it must be true. Correct. No background check, no nothing.
0: Here's the thing. I I do not disagree. that is That is completely unrealistic. But for the sake of moving through the story to get to the action of the film, I can live with them going through something like that in a very quick, unrealistic fashion. Of all of the problems that this film has, that's the one thing that I take the least offense to.
1: Yeah, you you can kind of look past that.
0: So he picks the kids up. They go back to Bolt's mansion. And Tia is so concerned about Winky the cat. Winky, Winky, Winky. The cat that she gives up so quickly, as soon as she finds <laughs> out that there is an ice cream cone in her future, she just hands him to Duranian and goes here and goes and grabs her ice cream cone. Again, probably not anything that should offend anybody, but it stood out to me, nonetheless. This mansion that Duranian lives in is something similar to what you'd see in Blank Check, for example. It's this big castle-like mansion. It's filled with toys. It's filled with ice cream and junk food. It's basically everything you wish you had As a 10-year-old.
1: It's like getting access to Willy Wonka's factory, except you can live in there.
0: Exactly.
1: The only thing that I really dislike about it is that inside there's so many rooms and it's so vast, but you get one shot of the exterior. And it's like a tower and a wall and that's it. You know it's supposed to be like a seaside, I I guess sort of castle or villa or something. Right. But... They got permits to shoot one side of it for this whole movie.
0: Yeah, this was shot out in California. It's very clear that a lot of it was shot along the Pacific Coast Highway. I would imagine
1: stunning, beautiful, and I, it's what redeems this film.
0: the The movie is beautifully shot. Yeah, for um, sure. I'm not going to say it's the only thing that redeems the film because there were certain things that. I took away after multiple viewings. I'm not going to jump the gun on this, but I will say that I think this movie does require more than one sit down. If that makes any sense.
1: I don't want to get too far ahead, but I will say this. It's, it's losing. And the more we're talking about it, the more and more it is losing me.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Interesting. So, anyway, um, there's a scene here where now we've seen that um, the children are being watched by Bolt through closed circuit, as he says. The hidden camera's in the house. And the kids are using their powers to make puppets dance. And they're dancing with the puppets as well. Marionettes, right? And you can see the shadow of the puppeteers on the floor, on some of the walls. But, with that being said, I think that that does not make the movements of the puppets any less impressive. I do appreciate in this film the practical effects because this is very primitive CGI and when they use CGI, it's... It's bad. It's terrible. But it's 1975. I mean, when you look at what came two years later with Star Wars, obviously it's glaring. I think that this movie also had a very different budget than Star Wars did. But um, the practical effects are excellent. And I feel that the, the way that the puppets dance and move here there is good as we've talked on this show. We mentioned it when we had Lisa Donato on from Castle Run and we were talking about Favreau. There's a quick, and it's really quick in chef, which we mentioned on the show. There's a very quick scene where there's like a sugar skull skeleton that's dancing Mm. and it looks so realistic. It's fantastic. I think these are as good as that little puppeteer was
1: totally because the way that they're what they're trying to achieve is that Tia and Tony are making them move. Yeah. So you see the handle of the marionette that the puppeteer would normally hold. But it's it's a dummy handle because Mm -hmm. the person that's actually controlling it is out of frame. So to achieve that is really impressive. The shadows. It makes it kind of sloppy. That's bad, but that's really more on the cinematographer than anything else for not catching the way that the light is hitting them. Right. Um, But other than that, yeah, the practical effects are really good. Like the baseball scene that we were talking about before, um, that's all really clean. That's really well done. And um, Tony has the premonition of this home before they go there and he draws on a mirror with a crayon and that's actually really impressive. It's excellent. It's really cool looking the way they pulled that off.
0: I mean, there's only one or two instances where you see the strings, but again, the defense of that is it was 1975. Like, I don't think people are valuing the fact that it was 1975. I mean, think about it. The first talkies, had only come out like 50 years before this movie did. When you think about cinema in general, right. This was very very primitive. This was less than 40 years after Snow White came out.
1: But at the same time, this was about 10 years after Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins is flawless.
0: That's where you you see a movie like this and you said nothing against him, especially because he has recently passed away. This is the difference between Walt Disney and Ron Miller. Ron Miller, at the time, was the studio head. I think he was the executive producer of this movie. And Ron Miller had a lot of hits when he was running the company. He had a lot of misses when he was running the company. But that's the difference between a Ron Miller... And to Walt Disney is the difference between Mary Poppins and Escape to Witch Mountain. You want to talk about poor cinematography. Let's talk about the daring escape that they made in the middle of the night that was also in the middle of the day.
1: Oh, God. I
0: I mean, I don't have anything. It is so clear that it is the daytime, and I guess they used tarps or canvases to try and block out some of the sunlight to make it look dark. No, because it's not
1: even dusk.
0: I mean, look at the background. See, no. It's the middle of the day.
1: And you're you're talking about working with children and animals because there's a horse in this scene. Right. You can't cheat this by shooting either at the crack of dawn or as the sun sets and and using your natural light because the hour that you're going to get either way is just not enough to pull this off. Yeah. But it may have been worth trying. It
0: was really bad. Yeah. Let me ask you. I'm t-
1: wondering if it was a tarp that they actually used on the light or if it was filters because it it looks that bad where it might have been a filter.
0: Because, I mean, really, it's just shadows on like a 10 by 10 piece of land in which the kids are running through. Because parts of the foreground are in light. And the backgrounds are in the light. And it's really just that one little square that's dark. Right. Let me ask you. Up to this point in time, we've seen a handful of flashbacks in regards to the quote-unquote shipwreck.
1: hmm
0: What was your opinion of these flashbacks.
1: This is where it really starts to lose me because I don't think, and this this is not exclusive to this movie, I don't like any movie that uses visions as a plot device because it does nothing to move the story forward. I, I mean, it does, but it's like you have to clue the audience in at some point so if we had seen this shipwreck in the beginning of the film and knew what they were working towards then okay you're walking the audience through this and and the kids are catching up but like you can't have the audience ignorant to what is going on agreed and it also just because of the way that it's done in this film it makes it very confusing
0: not only does it make it confusing, but it slows the pace of the movie down. This movie's only an hour and 38 minutes long, but it feels like a two-and-a-half-hour movie because I said before that I liked, out of the gate, how they knocked out backstory very quickly with a few throwaway lines and conversations with people at the orphanage.
1: It feels to me, and maybe this is because we've had a lot of large doses of it lately, it reminds me of Lost quite a bit. Now, admittedly, Sean and I are way behind the times. We had gone on our honeymoon to Oahu, and you can visit when you're there the Kualoa Ranch. Um, and it's where they shot lost. They shot the new King Kong, Skull Jurassic Island there. Jurassic Park and yes, most notably Jurassic Park. And uh Fifty First Dates too, which is a yeah. Favorite of mine. But anyway, um, We had seen all these locations and we had seen like maybe a season of the show in real time when it was airing on ABC and we were like, oh, now that we've been to all the sets, we have to go back and catch up with it. So anyway, that's been our binge even before the coronavirus. So we're going to hopefully knock the rest of it out soon. Because I need to be done with it. Yeah. Lost has lost me. So I think part of my gripe with this film, so I don't want to be too harsh on it, is that I've had too much... Visions and confusing and and uh, timelines that are yeah. disjointed. yeah so this was not the best thing for roulette this week.
0: it these these jumps, these timelines, they sort of just jump in at random and you see these little clips and without knowing anything about it, it certainly does slow the pacing of the movie down because otherwise the movie is paced well until we get to all of these flashbacks. I th- I, th- I think the movie is paced just fine until we get to these flashbacks. I think we jump right into these kids have ESP. Um, do we know why they have ESP? No. Do we know where they're from? No. But with proper backstory, that gets fleshed out over time. But because you're throwing these snippets in, and at times they're very drawn out, the problem is it's the same snippet over and over again. It's them floating in the water. So you're not seeing anything new.
1: Right. And that that's what I'm saying too. Aside from the fact that we don't see what happened and we know what it is that they're they're working towards, we're not getting any clues as we go along to piece this all together.
0: It slows the movie down. It kills the pacing of up to this point what I believe and you disagree, but what I believe has been paced fairly well.
1: More exposition and faster edits at this point.
0: We talked about animals before. I want to talk about my spirit animal for just a second. Okay. And I'm jumping ahead because we're not really dissecting character, but there's not a lot of characters in this movie anyway, so I don't really care.
1: And there's also not much to dissect. Uh,
0: th- no, but I want to talk about my spirit animal. Jason O'day okay it's a character I didn't know I needed in my life <laughs> he's snarky he's jaded he's over it he is what I aim to be like I'm not even gonna say in 30 years in five.
1: He's, he's also a widow who drives around the country in his camper you want to rethink that one
0: well you could just join me in the winnebago but when the kids come in and he realizes that they're duping him he calls them land pirates <laughs> everything about him is just perfect i love every bit of dialogue that comes out of his mouth he's a, he's a curmudgeon the mo- He's a curmudgeon, but Donald Pleasance is probably the, not probably, he is the best actor in this movie. I like O'Day more than I like the kids.
1: O'Day is more connected to the role. He might not be the best actor if we're talking about career overall, but for this film, I believe him the most.
0: I agree. Jumping ahead a little bit here the longview sheriff he's one of the people that is being bribed by aristotle bolt because again we're not going to be quite on the nose enough we're going to name him aristotle bolt the longview sheriff is one of the people that gets bribed and he's having a conversation with the angry mob of gentlemen in flannel with who shotguns are so
1: on board and completely unmotivated. It's it's
0: just like Silver Bullet. If you've ever seen the movie Silver Bullet, it's based on a Stephen King novel. It uh stars Gary Busey and I think one of the Lawrence kids actually. Oh wait, no. No. It was that was um that was it Corey was a... Haim. It was Corey Haim and Gary Busey. That's yeah, I thought he... it
1: was Elijah. No, I'm thinking of the one with the the wagon.
0: You're thinking Radio Flyer. Yes. No, no, no. This is Corey Haim and Gary Busey.
1: Which you if, should be sold on Gary Busey. Th-
0: but, joking aside about Gary Busey, great movie. If you've never seen Silver Bullet, that's one that I, I really think people should go ahead and watch. I love Silver Bullet, and, and the same goes for Radio Flyer. But only watch Radio Flyer if you want to cry. Um, But you have that similar flannel shotgun mob, and the Longview Sheriff says, they're on their way to Witch Mountain. This is one of the first times, in fact, it might be the first and only time, not the only, but the first time, we hear the term Witch Mountain. This movie is an hour and 38 minutes long. You hear the term Witch Mountain at the hour and 10 minute mark.
1: You got very specific with this.
0: An hour and 10 minutes into an hour and 38 minute movie. The title, attraction, for a lack of better term. The destination, the end game. Only hear it for the first time with 28 minutes left in the movie.
1: See, that doesn't bother me that much. Like, if it was in a movie like, oh, say, Titanic, I'd have a big problem with it. But here, what bothers me more is that how do they all know... Where they're headed all of a sudden. Like, is this your first extraterrestrial experience Or, or it's not your first time at the rodeo, rather, that you know that that's where they happen to be headed. You don't even know really why you're chasing these kids. You just show up in your flannels with, you know, guns because the sheriff told you to.
0: Well, they were told they were going to get five thousand dollars.
1: Right, they were bribed into it, but but they also came out of nowhere. It's not like yeah. the sheriff had walked into like the town watering hole and was yeah. like, "I need able-bodied men to go up to which Mountain." I would have bought no APB. The-
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I would have bought that a lot more than him just like standing in front of his car, being like, "I need people. Here's money."
0: I need a few good men. <laughs> but anyway, um.
1: <laughs> also, this mob gets frightened by a bear and they just oh, leave their gun. God. They are, I, oh,
0: j- I was about no. to talk about this whole thing.
1: You have a gun, dude. I'm not condoning shooting the animal, but you have a gun. Instead, they drop their weapons and run.
0: All right, so I have to give some backstory here. Aye, aye, aye. At one point, Tia and Tony let a bear out of a cage because there's a bear on in a circus cage on the side of the road. You know, like you see normally. And they let it out because she can talk to animals like Dr. Doolittle.
1: That's how they got out of the house the first time was she she tamed a horse through telepathy.
0: And then the dogs. Let's and the not dogs, forget yes. about the dogs. So they use, they've weaponized the bear. They use the bear <laughs> As you should. If I had a bear, I'd weaponize it. So they use the bear to help them on multiple occasions. And I want to talk about both of these occasions right now. I'm so happy you brought this up because it was the next thing on my sheet in terms of my notes. So they put the they tell the bear to go hide in a cave because they're running through the woods. Now
1: and Tia wants to keep him at this point. Keep she feels bad.
0: Now, listen, if I had the ability to possess a bear who would do my bidding for me, I would keep it as well.
1: So many things. So So many things. So
0: (laughs) they tell the bear, go hide in the cave. And you get uh, four of these guys with their flashlights in broad daylight um, and their shotguns that find the cave. And they turn their flashlights on, and they walk into the cave, and there's the bear. Now, I'm not saying... This isn't Bambi. I don't need to see the animal get shot. However, to point out what you just point out, uh, pointed out, I should say, um, they just drop the guns, and they run. I understand this is a family film, although it didn't stop Walt Disney from shooting Bambi's mother. But... Um, <laughs> And I understand you're doing this for comedic effect. However, there's. First, you can't be that surprised as a hunter with a shotgun and a flashlight. Heading up into a mountain. Into a cave. What did
1: you think you were going to find? I kind of feel like that's why you have the guns with you, because what else were you going to do? Shoot, Shoot the, the kids? kids? No! <laughs>
0: But I digress. They drop the guns, they run. Now, the next time Tia and Tony weaponize the bear, (laughs) again, not a phrase I thought I'd ever say in my adult life, is when they have the bear go sit in the Lincoln Continental that Duranian and the other chauffeur are traveling in. Because they have now gone... To O'Day's brother's house. Because of course. His brother has a house. En route to Witch Mountain. And they go there to hide. And are found out. Well why are they found? Because. As much as I like O'Day. You are an elderly gentleman. Driving a green and white Winnebago. Not traveling all that far. It is not a. It's, it's not like they're, well, they're in a black Honda Accord. No, this was a product placement vehicle. It's not an inconspicuous way of traveling. You're in a Winnebago, and you're not going all that far, as I just said. Nobody should make this many pit stops and tempt the hands of fate. Right. Yet they do, up to and including stopping at his brother's house.
1: So his brother, who's conveniently not home. Right. And so, not, not just like out on an errand. He's like traveling somewhere.
0: So Duranian and the driver are out because they try to break into the house to get them, uh, the children, that is. And when they make their way back to the car, the bear is in the front seat chewing on a seatbelt. I am not sure that Donald Pleasance knew that that bear was going to be there. He is a fantastic actor, (laughs) but I don't even know if he could have pulled (laughs) off the look of shock on his face knowing that animal was going to be in that car. I just don't know. I mentioned O'Day just now and his frequent pit stops. I want to point out something else here. For somebody that was not really on board. I mean, he flat out said, I don't like kids. And I understand they have to grow on him. He's an integral part of the story. And you're trying to build some heart there. But it doesn't take much convincing for him to come to terms with the fact that he's driving around with aliens.
1: There's no big moment where they win him over. The, the whole thing from here, you know... As as if it's not random enough. Even when they first meet him, with all of these visions and, and their powers, when he discovers him, when he discovers the kids, they're sitting in his Winnebago covered in flour. Yeah. Because they use the flour...
0: He buys it at the store because he's like, he's gearing up for a big road trip and the cat steps on the corner of the bag and it rips open and spills all over them.
1: Right, and they later use it to distract the bad guy. They're Through the throwing, telepathy, yeah. they throw it at the they're car. They're doing the
0: Detroit Rock City where they throw it out of the, <laughs> out of the window <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they're hitting the windshield behind them.
1: But when he discovers them, they're just sitting there covered in flour. He already walks out of the Winnebago. They had every opportunity to escape and run away and then like maybe they, he tracks their footprints and that's how he finds them. They didn't do anything. They just sat there. They
0: just sat there the whole time. The other thing that we never really get answered other than, well, not that it's a question. I mean, they are just sitting there. But a big question that we never get answered in this movie is why the harmonica? Tia possesses the ability to have these visions and they can communicate through ESP. But they never explain why Tony needs the harmonica To accomplish any of his goals while using his powers.
1: No, and they allude to it because he says, my powers aren't as strong as yours, but we just don't know why, that she's the one with all the visions. It never
0: gets fleshed out.
1: Returning to O'Day's brother's house. Yeah. Another thing that is completely random, they make a phone call. And at that point, they change the last name to Castaway yes or that's not the only point they do it there there is a point where they're almost caught they do it with the sheriff and they yes. tell the sheriff yeah yeah yeah, that the name is Castaway. yes completely random that we don't even see that as a part of her vision and if we're supposed to connect those dots because they were in some sort of crash in the water that that's way too much of a reach right so that does come into play later, but they're they don't even know how or why they were supposed to change their last name.
0: Yeah, the, a lot of things just happen in this movie with no rhyme or reason, a lot of things not fleshed out. they just sort of happen. you know, I, they, they jump right into oh,'re we're, we're extraterrestrials. Again, they, like they don't have any vision like there's no vision of them on their home planet. There's no vision of them on a spacecraft. They just realize we're floating in water. We were on a spaceship.
1: Yeah, all of a sudden they go from floating in water and you would assume shipwreck and it's actually a spacecraft wreck and somehow they just know that that's right. what happened. And we don't even, there's not even a moment of hesitation where they're ex- accepting the fact that they're extraterrestrials. I mean, I guess, I guess if you're having all of these visions and stuff and you finally have an answer as to why this is happening to you. It's just like, all right, I'll go with this. I can already make things float. What right. you know? What's the difference? But I don't. I don't know. There's there's just a big disconnect there, especially too because it's extraterrestrials, and yet you're going to Witch Mountain. So I'm yes. I'm thinking the whole time that it's sorcery or something. This
0: entire time going into this movie, I knew of this film because I'd heard the title a hundred times, and I thought it was going to be a fantasy action film with witches and warlocks and spells. No. And we don't ever find out why it's called Witch Mountain. We never do. It's never explained to us. Not
1: by the townsfolk, not by the sheriff, not by the kids, nothing. And that's why once they finally get there and their ultimate escape into the spacecraft is just so ridiculous and far-fetched. I mean like we're already on board with with all of the the randomness throughout, but like there is nothing about the end scene that ties this all together.
0: I want to talk about the end scene here.
1: Starting with the flying
0: Winnebago, which spaceballs. It just reminds me of Lone Star in spaceballs. Again, that movie came out 12 years after this one did, but the Winnebago just starts to fly. Because Donald Pleasant and the driver, um, they go to block a road, because now we're driving on a dirt road up the mountain. Clearly, there's a place to go from there.
1: Beautiful. The whole thing is so scenic. It's
0: gorgeous. And they block off the road. Are there buildings around it? No. Is there a guardrail? No. Could you just as easily move five feet to the left and drive on the grass? Yes. However, it's that no, and we all cover our eyes moment that you've seen in movies a hundred times. And then, choop, up into the air. The Winnebago goes. Because Uncle Benet has used his powers...
1: You mean Uncle Vinay, who we
0: all thought dead up until this point? Yes, because the kids don't possess the powers to make the Winnebago fly. Well, he makes the Winnebago fly. And then he takes Bolt, who is in a helicopter, as they fly through the clouds, and he turns the helicopter upside down. Now, the Winnebago lands, the helicopter lands upside down. Pretty sure that doesn't really work it sort of defies physics and death d- yes aviation it defies aviation but it's a kids movie from 1975 certain things here i'm going to overlook as being a kids film from 1975
1: i will say this Listen, though- none of
0: those people on lost should have lived through that plane crash either And we've spent two months watching that television show.
1: I do have to say this, though. I can appreciate the continuity because they land the helicopter and the propeller is down on the ground. But the body keeps spinning. It's it's good. Comedically,
0: it's very funny.
1: Until the two guys run up to it and actually stop Stop it with their bare their bare hands. I wouldn't be going anywhere near that. They, gra- they grab the tail. There's a propeller on the tail, too. And they just
0: grab it. They just grab it. And the pilot is not surprised at all that he is not only flying upside down, but is eye to eye with the Winnebago in
1: midair. Maybe it, is that the whole deal with Witch Mountain? Is, is it like Vegas, that whatever happens there, you just accept it?
0: I don't know, because Witch Mountain is not ever fleshed out.
1: I would have appreciated which mountain more as a character. Yeah, if if they treated it like a character and it was, I I don't know, evil or something.
0: If they would have treated like the Cave of Wonders, sure. Exactly. You you give it a persona, and it doesn't even have to speak like the Cave of Wonders does. But somehow personify it. None of that happens.
1: Or even in something like Enchanted, where she ends up in New York City and everything is working against her.
0: Yes, exactly right. They get on the UFO, which surprises nobody. And even the villains. Like, the villains are never actually defeated in this movie. They kind of just stand there and watch them fly away. And they don't go after O'Day. They've been wanting to go after O'Day this entire time, and they kind of just stand there and let him wave goodbye with the cat in his hand.
1: No, and it's not even like that moment where they can appreciate, like, they all witnessed something crazy and they're just never going to talk about it again, and that's why they let him go. Right. It's,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's sort of just a very weak ending. Do you have anything else to add here before we sort of um, give a final synopsis for I this? Nothing. Why don't you go first? Because I actually think I'm going to have more to say on this than you. Um,
1: final synopsis. I will say that I am interested to read the book because I never have. And I'm wondering if this is one of those things where it was just a bad adaptation and the book is better. I'm, I'm always, you know, a fan of the book is better than the movie. Um, So I'd be willing to give that a shot. But as that aside, and looking at this as a film on its own, it makes absolutely no sense. Everything is too random. There is no cause and consequence. There is nothing that really moves the story forward. And worst of all, there is absolutely nothing that makes me care about these characters at all. That's not a knock at the child actors. Um, I think they're both pretty good for the most part except some of Tia's lines everything is almost everything is delivered with an upward inflection where she's just like surprised by everything that's happening and I guess that was sort of the point because they don't know what's happening to them um but it just doesn't make a lot of sense on so many different levels there's nothing that really ties it up at the end and there's nothing that's really so magical about it for me that makes me want to just overlook any of the flaws
0: i agree with some of what you said um i agree that there's nothing that magical about this now If I was a kid in 1975, would my mind have been blown? Yes, maybe, because as I pointed out before, you hadn't even seen Star Wars yet. So maybe this was mind-blowing. Maybe this was state-of-the-art for you. So I'm not going to dump all over it, because we sat here a couple of months ago and said, as ridiculous as the movie is, we love blank check. Would a kid who sees that movie now love it? Probably not. So I am not going to criticize your love of the film for nostalgia's sake. I appreciate the movie for what it is in terms of its practical effects. I think that movies have gotten so far away from practical effects that you can see the fishing line and the strings in some of the practical effects here. But I like that more than seeing something that's computer animated that shouldn't be that stands out as being very, very bad.
1: Oh, for movie. sure. I'll take fishing line over bad CGI any day.
0: And you see a lot of bad CGI in both movies and television. So that I can overlook.
1: This also might fall victim to we're seeing it now and it's on Disney Plus and it's a lot more clear. Yeah,
0: I don't know about that. I mean, I I, I don't think, I I think that what you're saying is valid because you're watching something with primitive effects on a digital medium. But I feel like if I watch this on VHS, it would probably still look the same way. I don't
1: know. I don't think it would stand out quite so much.
0: I think that Disney at the time was spending a lot less uh, money on their movies, you know, in terms of their budget. Um, But, like, I don't love Pete's Dragon. You do. And you can sit... Because we reviewed it. And you sit there and say, does the movie hold up? No, but I still love it. So I feel like there's an audience there that's going to say the same thing. Because I don't think that this movie holds up. Which is a shame. Because do I like the overall story? Yes. Do I like the overall characters? Yes. But is the movie paced very well? No. Because it starts off being paced fairly well. But I think these flashbacks slow it down. I think that... You know, listen... I can suspend a certain amount of reality and I don't need every single thing in a movie to be fleshed out for me. However, this is one of those movies that when I watch it, I think to myself, if you haven't, they're just assuming you've read the book, right? How many movies get made that are based on a bestseller and they jump certain things and they ignore certain things because it's assumed that you have read the book, Harry Potter does it all. exactly right, because I have read one Harry Potter book. I read it three years ago, and up until that point, had not cared about Harry Potter, had not read Harry Potter, and I had been critical of those movies, to which you said to me, well, you need to read the book, and I said, if I go see a movie, I should not have to have read the book. I'm there to see the movie. Don't just assume that I've read the book, and I think that that happened here. I think this, vic- this movie is a victim to... Assuming people have read the book, I think it's a victim of relying too much on certain flashbacks to flesh out too much backstory. And at times, the movie is not motivated at all. The characters are not motivated, the storyline is not motivated, and it's left with more questions than there are answers. Do I like the movie? It's okay. Do I like the movie the more I watch it? Yes. That I will say. The first time we saw it, I said, this movie's garbage. I'm not looking forward to watching it a second time. Because I knew what to anticipate watching it a second time, I like the movie a lot more. Is this a movie that has a ton of rewatchability for me? Absolutely not. Would I watch it again to see if I can take a little bit more out of it? Maybe, but after a third viewing, is this a movie I'm going to watch again? No. No. If, if I'm sitting there and it's, it's a Friday night and I'm in quarantine, like we are, and I, I got Disney Plus <laughs> and a glass of wine, which I normally do, is Escape to Witch Mountain the first thing I'm going to put on? No chance. But for some of you, it might be. And I want to hear from you guys. And I'm sure Jackie does, too. Have you seen this movie? Do you love this movie? Can you defend this movie? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. In terms of news this week, not a ton out there for obvious reasons. However, they did announce this is Disney, of course, that Onward is going to be released on Disney Plus on April the 3rd. And I think it's a this, Friday. It's a Friday. It's very significant because this is a movie that, as of two weeks ago, was still in theaters as a new release. Um, so it's clear that they anticipate that this is going, the situation that we're in right now is going to carry on for quite some time. Um, and uh, I think that it's, I think it speaks volumes in regards to the decision-makers at Disney. Because they could have just as easily held on this, they could have put it as a digital purchase opportunity on a multitude of streaming platforms, and they have. Let's not say that they haven't. But rather than sit on that for a couple of months and try to force people into buying the film, they're really only sitting on it for a couple of weeks. And I think that that's significant because they recognize the fact that there are people out there who don't have jobs and are not going to have jobs to go back to, especially if you work for a small business. So those people with families have already paid the $6 a month for Disney+. Plus. So to make this available for free, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm, uh, my voice is kind of breaking a little bit, as, and I'm not, I'm not ever too proud to admit anything, but I'm, um, it's at times it's emotional to think that Disney is willing to do this because this is less about the bottom line, because at this point there is no bottom line. The bottom line is gone because the theatrical release is over, and. They're making this available for families that otherwise cannot afford $10 a head to go to a movie theater or cannot even afford the $25 to buy a a streaming uh, copy or a Blu-ray copy. And and to say, hey, if you're willing to wait three more weeks, it's going to be available for your $6 a month, I think is um, commendable. I really do.
1: I agree. Um, I think this is an act of kindness and Disney trying to shed some light in a very, very dark time. Um, with regard to everything else that has been pushed back, I don't see Mulan going straight to Disney+. Plus. I don't see Black Widow going straight to Disney+, Plus because... I think part of it and and it's not this is not meant to spit on what Disney has done, but they already had their opening weekend for this film. So they got their box office numbers, but now they're going to take a bath on the rest of the theatrical run. And I think that the other thing is that they are keeping in mind that the economy is going to hurt because of this. And in the grand scheme, nothing is going to hurt more than the parks. So being that they got their opening box office numbers and being that they know people might not be so inclined to go spend the money, people who are out of work right now, it's going to be a very slow build to get back. And going to the movies is probably not going to be at at the top of everyone's to-do list once this is all over, once everyone can stop self-quarantining. um. And I think their priority is going to be the park. So, you know, if this is one of those things, they probably figure it's the least we can do. Let's make everybody happy. Let's put the movie out there.
0: Yeah. And if you guys are looking for a little bit of Disney magic and some Disney joy, other than waiting out the release of Onward, or perhaps you've gone and watched uh, Frozen 2, I would suggest going to Pandemonium on Facebook. That is a page that is run by our good friend John Sicari at bigfatpanda.com he's been on the show a couple of times and john's a wonderful guy um he shared a video there today of the dapper dans um singing when you wish upon a star and they all sung it in quarantine but mixed the video together and it's almost like watching the brady oh, bunch how
1: cool where they're
0: all in different boxes but i mean we all know the dapper dans and they harmonize so beautifully And uh, John shared that video there. So I would say go over to Pandemonium. And when, when you're there, just join the page because there's so much Disney content there. And there's so much that John puts up. And there's so many people in his community that put things there that I would really suggest just joining up.
1: A lot of virtual rides, too. So if you're really missing the parks... You can go to his page, yeah. and there's a lot of videos that go on the ride straight through. I uh,
0: I did a party with him as a uh, attendee where he did a Kilimanjaro safaris, and that was a lot of fun. So if you want that little bit of Disney fix, you know perhaps your trip got canceled, but you still want to feel like you're there. Again, sign up for that pandemonium. Uh, John's doing some really good work. I mean, John. John always does fantastic work at Big Fat Panda. I've been following him for years. While we're on the topic of, or let's swing back to the topic of Onward, I should say. Um, We did a virtual viewing party on Facebook Live on the Monoreal Radio group, facebook.com slash monoreal radio. We did a virtual party for Frozen 2, and we had a really good time with it. And you guys had a blast with it.
1: It was so much fun. Uh, so thank you to everyone who joined, first of all, because we we had a blast. And we weren't sure. We wanted to do something that kind of brought us together and, and did something that, you know, we could involve the community in while everybody's stuck at home. Yep. Um, And, you know, we weren't sure how people were going to respond. We weren't sure if it was going to be like a one-time thing. But we had so much fun doing it. Uh, We definitely want to do it again, and we're going to with the release of Onward, which we did get to see in theaters. We were lucky enough to make it to that uh, before all the theaters started closing down.
0: Right, so on Sunday, April the 5th at 7 p.m., we are going to do another streaming party where we watch Onward on Disney+, and we invite you guys to queue up your version or your copy of Onward on your Disney Plus as well, or maybe you bought the uh, you bought the digital copy for your family ahead of time, and uh, just queue it up and you guys can watch it along with us. It's sort of a live commentary. We're commenting on what we see as the movie is playing live, and we're also... Reading your comments out loud and letting you guys sort of communicate not only with us, but also as, as a community with each other. And it was so well received and we were so blown away and so thankful for everybody that joined us for Frozen 2. That we kind of decided in the middle of the episode and we, we said it out loud, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this for Onward. So keep an eye on your social media. Make sure you're following Monoreal Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, specifically Facebook, because we're going to do the uh, party there. But we're going to go ahead and and, uh, create create an event uh, probably by the end of today, and uh, you guys can go ahead and join, and please invite your friends and family.
1: We're also going to let you know what cocktail we will be enjoying during this viewing, Um, if you are of age. We did have frozen drinks during Frozen, so this time we will post a cocktail, that way we can all join the party together. If you want to enjoy a beverage, we can we can kind of have the same one. Or you can sit there and
0: enjoy a mocktail or a soft drink or a juice, whatever it is, if you are not of legal age, or maybe you don't drink, and that's okay. Um, this isn't about us tying one on and having fun. It's just about, well, what can we all do together to just have a few laughs and enjoy a film? So we're going to be doing that again on... A, uh, I just mentioned it and I'll mention it again on Sunday, April the 5th at 7 PM. Please make sure you keep an eye on facebook.com slash monoreal radio for that event. Cause we're going to be putting that up there uh, certainly by the end of today. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on monoreal radio. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button uh, on your podcast platform of choice. And also to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice and on Facebook as well. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.